0: Hello, 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 and welcome to the Song Facts Podcast. I am your host, Corey O'Flanagan, and as always this podcast is proudly a part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Go and check it out for all your musical podcast needs. Today on the show, I am so excited to introduce you to the wonderful Tristan. I just love that opening guitar groove so good. Before we get into it, I just want to say, take a second, hit subscribe, tell a friend, leave us a five-star review. Feedback is king. we love to see it, and thank you so much for listening. Well, today's episode has been a long time coming. I first heard the name Tristan on this show last year when I interviewed Erin Lee Tasjan. After taking a deep dive into her music, I knew that she should be on the show, so here we are. Tristan came to Nashville years ago as a confident young songwriter, and we chat about that journey, her latest album release from last year called Aquatic Flowers, and I learn about Louis Anderson's views on paprika. Pretty interesting stuff. Our conversation, like her lyrics, have depth, are fun, and really just leave you wanting more. So please help me in welcoming to the Song Facts podcast the lovely Tristan. Well, I want to say thank you so much for being here with me, even if you're maybe not still 100%. You're in Nashville, right?
1: I am. Mm -hmm. And it
0: seems like you've been there for quite a while. I'm wondering, and I always wonder this, because it's such a hotbed for so many different types of music, even though country is the main one that it it gets the attention for. But what is it about that city that's such a draw for musicians and songwriters, in your opinion?
1: Well, for me... um... I grew up in Chicago and, um, you know, I was always a songwriter first and foremost. And so, you know, I wasn't even, when I moved here, I wasn't even really convinced that I was going to be like a recording artist, you know, I I sort of thought I'll just go down and write songs. I know I can do it. I can do it well, I can do it easily. Um, And I'll go down and try to figure out how to do that. And so that was the draw for Nashville. But It was also a draw because I came down and made a record with someone here and I, I loved how it was a small town and it was really a lot cheaper than living in Chicago. <clears mm-hmm. <clears <throat> so it was also attractive in that sense was
0: mm-hmm. you
1: could in, in when I moved here in 2007, you know, I used to work waiting tables three days a week and had a couple of roommates and all the rest of the time I could go to shows and you could really see a sh- local show here every night of the week and the bands are really good. Yeah. I came from Chicago which is a big city but it's not like it is here. There's just a lot of great music here every night of the week and it's very impressive and it's a part of you know a culture that's been around for a long time because there's been always been an industry here supporting that. So what you have is a lot of musicians living here and raising their families here and a lot of children who are raised in musical households. So it's just part of kind of like you know, the culture here, um, outside of the fact that there's the industry part of it, there's, you know, kind of a more organic, uh, you know, musicians culture here, which is why I've stayed here, and I haven't left, because, um, you know, I just have so many friends that um, live here, and I have built a life there, and not necessarily, you know, career-wise, I'm tied here, but not musically like i own a vintage store here so i'm tied here for that yeah but i was just always i just couldn't leave my my friends you know um
0: were you nervous when you came down there i mean it sounds like you came down with a ton of confidence like well at least i'll make it as a songwriter and maybe well, not even. I mean, I'm not thinking about a solo artist career at this point, but I know I can go down and sell my songs. And that's just a really or, fascinating. Or write thing them to have. with people.
1: Well, I didn't know that I was going to make it. I did know that I could write songs, and I think that when you can just do that, and you can just write songs. I mean, I was already performing, and um, you know, I already had like bands and um, a manager, just living in Chicago, which was kind of a desert, you know. So I already knew I had talent because. I was kind of uplifted in almost every community I had, um, as a singer, but then also as a writer, I just knew I could do it. I mean, it's, it's not an easy thing to just sit down and be able to do. So if you can do it on demand easily, and you know that about yourself and you have the libido to do it, which is something I talk about a lot, the desire I'm not talking, you know, libido is just such a wonderful way to describe the drive you have to work on things and to get better at it. I mean, there are people who most people who are really good at anything just have the desire to work on it. And so, and yeah. I, you know, coming down here, I just knew that I could come up with melodies. If I needed a melody, I could come up with it and I could write lyrics. And I knew that I could do it because I had written so many songs. And I started when I was a teenager and it was just super easy for me. But I didn't know that I would make it. I think I just wanted to give it a shot. I think that's kind of where I was at in my life. I, you know, I was like a really good student in college, pretty easily a good student. Um, and I say that because I wasn't a good student in high school. I was an okay student in high school, but then I went to college and I studied, you know, things that I was interested in, and I did well. And it was a lot of writing, and I just I can write, so I had the option of. I can go get a fellowship and get my go to grad school and keep doing that, which I also enjoy. Or yeah. I can give this really wild thing a shot, which is um, try to be a songwriter and and try to do my music as a career. And you know, I really didn't know that I could do it, but I knew that um, that I wanted to. So you know, what else? I'll go, I'll, I'll go wait tables. I'll sell shoes. I'll do whatever I need to do three days a week or four days a week. And I'll not have a lot of money and run around town. And, you know, really quickly I met a lot of people that I'm like, actually still really good friends with because that's how this town works. If you can do something and you know, you're good at it, it's kind of easy to find people to support you either in a band or just as like, let's co-write. So
0: did you, so you came under my radar because I got a chance to interview, uh, Aaron Lee Tazgin, uh, last year. And I asked him at the end of the interview, which I plan to ask you too, who's the person that I should talk to next. And he said, you, cause I think you guys just did a tour shortly after that interview.
1: Oh, that's so awesome. Um, yeah, he's great. No, I met Aaron. I feel like Aaron and I really connected. I followed him when his first album came out, like, and I loved the music. Yeah. And then he messaged me during the pandemic when I was feeling like really depressed and he was like, I just love your music. And I was like, this is great. Thank you. I think I won't quit, you know? <laughs> um, and he's just so wonderful that way. And I really needed to hear that from somebody, you know, at that point, cause you know, it was just so isolating and everybody didn't know what was going on. And it's just hard. Um, <laughs> That's really
0: amazing. I literally just read something and I'm sorry to interrupt, but about just like, uh, just mental health in general. And just like the idea of just sending out a short little message like that to somebody, even if it, even if it gets you don't have to care if it gets through just the idea the process of doing it can be so uplifting for you and for them if they end up reading it and it's just these small little things that we can do as a community to to help each other out through these crazy times so i'd love to hear that kind of thing
1: yeah i mean the thing there's this there's a, a folk tradition or like a fairy tale tradition basically like if you hold on to gifts bad things will happen to you there's all these really like gnarly um, stories about you know um y- you have to and, and and culturally there are in a lot of Native American cultures um, where you're not supposed to hold on to gifts so when someone pays you a compliment if you hold on to it it rots inside of you if you just take and you don't say okay i need to come up i need to come up give it back you know so I think that there's so much power in that um and i think aaron really sets a great example of you know being kind of a cheerleader for other that. and um i just respect it so much um and it inspires me to be that way and it's just a way to really you know every we've only got each other at this point yeah <laughs> with you know the the way that um the economics of the music industry are devastated and um, sort of been co-opted and everybody's kind of working for free, you know, and this vow of poverty we're expected to take and all of these uh, sort of terrible conditions for creating. Um, I think the thing that does keep me going is friends saying, I love your record, people that I respect. I mean, to me, that's worth more than anything else is someone that you admire and respect saying, you know, I really love what you're doing and them meaning it and saying it because they want to and um, not having it be, you know, an obligation to, but just, you know,
0: just to say it. Yeah, I get it. This is going to sound really cliche, but I love it. And I'm happy to be here talking about it. And I'm let's talk about some of these songs that you've written because they're so good. Thanks. <laughs> you put out an album in 2021 called Aquatic Flowers. Anyone that's listening, please go and listen. It is amazing. And the opening track is called Complex... I just have to know what the story behind the song is and is it a self-reflection
1: oh they're all i mean ultimately they're all self-reflections yeah um even if you choose i mean even by like what stories you're choosing to tell like that editorial process it's like why is that important to you you know why, why well, there's a reason you?
0: that you're choosing to tell that story right
1: right ha- even yeah. if it's a story you've heard from someone else why did it stay there you know and <laughs> and for me like a, and, and people talk like they talk shit about saying content being relatable, which I don't think it needs to be relatable. But I yeah. do think that when I hear things over and over again and I come to the same lines and conversations, you know, and ideas over and over again that they do stick out, they are more likely to become a song. But I think <clears throat> complex. I mean, I spent a good year. Or so being very much into young and, um, you know, listening to my, my favorite podcast this jungian life, which is just an incredible podcast. Um, and you know, I think that starting about like 27, I did some Eastern philosophy to get some self-work and some understanding and self-awareness to try to like, the way, you know, life works where you kind of get hit over the head with the same issues until you address them. Right. And some people, they just get hit over the head forever.
0: nonstop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: But you can sort of repeat bad behaviors and bad patterns and up to a point in your late twenties is really a good time where you start to address that hopefully. And, and I've sort of worked late later in life into sort of like figuring out some issues, you know, with um, just self-help and therapy and learning about, um, my like James Hollis which is a he's a man analyst and he his writing is amazing um, his interviews n- not as great as his writing um, but his books are you know really incredible and kind of the talk about um, also being a parent you know like being a new parent yeah and uh, thinking about your parents and your relationship to your parent and sort of something called the shadow, which is your parents basically look to you to fulfill an unlived dream. And that's the shadow at play. So your very first relationship where you're forming who you are and what you think about yourself and what your goals are going to be is very much dependent on what that primary relationship showed you. So if your parents were like, you know, musicians that didn't uh, have a chance to do it. You know, they're going to the sale, or they wanted to be a pitcher, you know, in Major League Baseball. Yeah. And so they, you know, just the influence of the shadow. But um, I think, too, just that feeling of um, having bad patterns, the same relationship pattern playing out over and over again and happening quicker as you get older and being able to see the signs and, recognizing in yourself um the way that you work against yourself and that the way that you can become stuck and you want things but you can't get them yeah because you're you're stuck in patterns and um i was listening to a louis anderson rest in peace uh interview and he was talking about how his father being an alcoholic was like Nuclear fallout. Like, you don't like when you have abusive parents or parents who, um, a narcissistic parent, or yeah. you know, you have any of those dynamics in your house, it's like your skin begins to melt when you're, you're mm-hmm. in your late 20s, you know, and you start to say, okay, well, my life is affected. Uh, and you, you're not really aware until you kind of play out all these experiences over and over again.
0: Hundred percent. Yeah, I really like this. I really like this perspective of the of the shadow. I haven't heard it phrased like that, and it just, I could go off on a tangent with you on that one, and and maybe we will one day over coffee or something. <laughs> but let's let's keep going about there's. 11 songs on this album and one of the things that I'm the creative process is such an interesting thing to me and I know it's just different over time it's different for every song for every album. but I'm wondering if these 11 songs were kind of written in a flurry of creativity or if you were just like plucking them out over time
1: um I'm kind of a steady writer even if I'm not really like sitting down, I kind of keep track of things you know so that when I do go to to write I have some stuff to work with because I can't just sit down and like a lot of times it's I can sit down and finish something but a lot of times like the initial seed of inspiration just happens like I'm giving my kid a bath and I'm like what's this so I'm singing i singing this thing you yeah. know and like the voice memo has him in the background going mom this truck is you know I'm like. Okay. <laughs> so um but uh No, the the process for that album was um, a little different than the other albums where I've sort of spent the last 12 years kind of getting my process to a place like comfort for myself, you know, with trial and error. And um, one of the things I did on Sneaker Wave, which is the record before this one, Mm -hmm. was go in with uh, 30 songs and have two week sessions and come out of two weeks of sessions with like a lot of stuff that was hard to finish. And then maybe like eight of that lasted or like kept my interest. And then I like wrote three more and finished it, so, you know, like, yeah, that album was, it was too much to go in with <clears throat> because it was so cut off between like writing and recording. So then we, In between albums, we usually do this uh, request cover thing where our fans can request covers, and then we like make a really quick recording of it, and they can dedicate it to somebody. It's it's really cute.
0: That is really nice.
1: Yeah, it it puts this. It's like this exercise for us though. We have a day to do it, and we do all these covers, and it's really fun. And um, but through that process for this record, we said, look, we're not going to bite off these huge chunks of music. We're just going to pick a couple songs have sessions finish them pick a couple songs have sessions finish them so we really were only working on two to three songs at a time and um, I always try to record you know 15 or 16 and for all the little problem children there's some great songs that just like you get in the studio and like something cooks wrong and and you get to like the final stages and you're like ooh Little too much paprika in that one you know? just by,
0: we're forcing the issue here
1: <laughs> right so um another louis anderson reference because he thinks paprika is the funniest spice <laughs> paprika um oh put some paprika on it um oh look anyway. at the
0: you got some northern in there
1: i do i have oh that's where i'm from i mean i've lost a lot of it but it comes out every now and then when i'm really Me tired too.
0: if i have uh wine or whiskey usually my northern wisconsin roots flare up um i, I want to go back a little bit into your catalog now in a song that really caught my attention i i was just doing some work this morning and going through and listening to your stuff and baby drugs is just a song that i just absolutely love There's this line that catches my eye and my ear. And when I'm not around, you just give up. And I think we can all relate to this sort of premise. And I wanted to ask if you, if this song stemmed from something specific, mainly because of that line.
1: Well, I've dated drug addicts, that's for sure. Um, (laughs) And I've probably been one at some, at certain points in my life, like not hard drugs, but you know, far too many, far too much weed. <clears throat> and far, you know, far too much alcohol. I've never really been like a big alcohol person, but yeah, I've definitely been like too wasted on weed. Definitely. Um <clears throat> but um no, I think um I think that uh that one was I think that's just about like those. I mean, I wrote that one when I was about 25 and surrounded by like, you know part of the party and you know music is very much wrapped up in party culture and so definitely you can find yourself even if you're kind of a strong person or you know a a strong inner maybe you're not an addict I wouldn't consider myself an addict but um you know falling in love with an addictive person and enabling them and playing along and trying to be cool and trying to be hard and play into the culture of addiction that's
0: considered rock and roll or whatever stay tuned for more song facts podcast right after this music everyone loves it but who listens to the lyrics we do she doesn't live in a shantytown. She lives in capital S (laughs) shantytown. You put patches from old shantytown on a resume? (laughs) You're not getting that job, you know what I mean? On the Story Song Podcast, we break down the lyrics you've heard a thousand times. Go um, to Barnes & Noble, 20 bucks, farming for dummies. Right, <laughs> chapter one, don't farm at night. Chapter two, don't farm in the winter. Yeah, the index is just like <laughs> blizzard. See, also, don't. We also look at the history of the song. So the monster match is on the r and <laughs> yes. Clearly, it should be on the monster chart. <laughs> oh, it was,
1: it was number one on the monster <laughs> oh, okay, charts. Good,
0: good, good. The Story Song Podcast. Find it wherever you download podcasts. Get your song back. That's an addiction in itself, is it not though? Like you're addicted to this person. So you're going above and beyond and doing things out of your character against the grain that just to keep them a part of your life.
1: You're an enabler. Oh, for sure. Like a love addict, for sure. And on top of that, it's a very strong relationship between the addict and the enabler. And so if you do have it a little bit more together um, and you do enjoy being in a caregiving role or caretaking role, which I think I fall into Um, and you find yourself surrounded with extremely creative people who a lot of times is very much mixed in. Um, You do find yourself in an enabling role and that's kind of the whole vibe of baby drugs. She's just an enabler.
0: That's interesting because I took it from and it it kind of has some overlap, but where it brought me and this is obviously what we love about songs is because you write it, you release it, and then it becomes what people make of it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so when I hear that line and I hear this song, I think of the fears that I've had when I've got a friend or family member in a situation and if they're left alone or they're taken if the if the wrong thing is taking out of their life, that could be the last thing that kind of like forces them into rock bottom, essentially not really forces is because they're yeah. doing it by their own way, but you feel a part of it. So it's like,
1: you feel responsible
0: hundred percent. And that's kind of where it took me instead of thinking to myself as an enabler, I thought of myself as like,
1: I'm a Savor. victim
0: of their situation because I'm scared to say the wrong thing or leave, even though I, I'm not a natural caregiver like you. So I'm, I'm, my fuse runs out more quickly than it sounds like yours might. And, but I get really scared to say something or to leave because I don't want that to be like the last domino that gets knocked over.
1: And I think that that's like one of the hardest things to come to terms with when you are dealing with an addict is like it's the hardest part is to just let them go and do, and do what they're going to do and hit and, and, and bottom out. And a lot of times the bottoming out is like, you know, a lot of times people die, you know, and yep. that's, it's horrible to let go. But um, I think one of the themes you see when you learn and, and, and experience um, relationships with an addict at a certain point, <clears throat> you sort of lost the person anyway, you know what I mean? When it gets really bad. Yeah they sort of aren't who, who they were. I mean, physiologically, the chemical makeup, of their brain has changed, but also, you know, they're stealing from you. They're lot, the lying, they're manipulating. Um, And they're just kind of, you know, uh, just, they just end up taking a lot, you know? So, but I think it's totally natural to feel like you could save somebody and to still love somebody, despite all of those things. And for it to be actually, the hardest thing to do. I couldn't imagine if it was a child. I just keep thinking of this movie I saw with Steve Carell as the father and his son's a meth addict. And I can't remember the name of oh, beautiful boy. Okay. And um I just keep thinking of that when we're talking about it now, but I just couldn't imagine it being your child because ultimately, like the entire basis of your relationship is feeling responsible for them. Yep. Keeping them safe. But you would have to actually at some point. Let release them
0: go. yeah you've got to you, that's the thing is like that to me is where um that where baby drugs brings me is just the power to remove yourself from the equation and let that person go and be and you know that you're going to probably feel guilty if something goes wrong or, or it goes badly but they're still choosing their own path and
1: baby drugs though is like still a naive young girl thinking that she can save him
0: okay I really like that
1: <laughs> I mean she's still she still believes like love can conquer all and you know that's the whole you know I will never falter fear because I've seen the demons love can conquer like I know that like my love can save you and then I can heal all these deep wounds that are making are making you. Um, want to do all these destructive things. Like I can save you, you, just have to listen to me. I'll take care of you, you know? (laughs) And I've seen marriages that are 50 years old, that the wives are still protecting and protected the husband from the children. And there's a a lot of huge lies happening there that just stay, you know, and it's a very intricate, deeply woven scenario where there's a whole lot of mental gymnastics going on to make excuses for this person that they've been married to for 50 years. And, you know, or you know, longer than that. I mean, really thinking about it, there's so many examples of that in my, you know, life and family and uh, you know, those excuses and all that. I mean, it's just classic uh enabler. Yeah. And it they just become a part of. Um, You know, oh, Phantom Thread, have you seen that movie? No. No, I'm not even gonna, it'd be like, I'd be like spoiling the whole movie to talk about why it's (laughs) relevant. So I'm just gonna jump right off of that. But if you watch Phantom Thread, it kind of touches on what we're talking about. But ultimately the partner feels very needed And that becomes a part of like the dysfunction of the relationship. Like they love to feel needed and be in control and the addict um, needs them. And as long as they're addicted, there's a role for everybody. So it's just hard when, when there's children involved.
0: Oh God. Yeah. That, that I can't imagine. I'm, I I haven't taken that, that, Turn yet in my life, and I don't know for sure if, if my wife and I are gonna do it, but we, we leave the door cracked open and um what what ideas were you pondering in the song Cool Blue?
1: Ossified, tempered and cool blue, he's looking at me so confused his ticker Well, Cool Blue is about a woman who falls in love with the statue. So, <laughs> um, I just kept thinking of Ozymandias, that Percy Bischelli um, poem about the statue. It like reminded me of Donald Trump too, just like <laughs> this, this, this strong statue, but it's been like disintegrated over time and, yeah. and the wind's just blowing on it. And it's like this desolate, I kept thinking about that, but, um, it's just more about like a wildly emotive woman, like falling in love with, sometimes you fall in love with like what you wish you were. Yeah. You know, mean, yeah.
0: That's kind of the same idea as like what you were saying with the shadow as a parent. You're like, Ooh, I have this opportunity to sculpt this statue now.
1: Right. Yes. You're kind of
0: fighting those urges too.
1: Well, and, and interestingly enough, what you learn through Jung and these other, uh, psychotherapists is that you are going to pick relationships that are comfortable for you, not necessarily healthy for you. So if you grew up with, um, you know, a certain dynamic, the very first dynamic where you developed who you were, who I is, you know, you watch your kid figure out who they are. They call themselves by their first name, you know, they talk in third person you you're going to find that that relationship that's comfortable. So if you you know if you <laughs> if your primary relationship is with someone who's abusive, you're going going to find that particular way that that you were abused, and you're going to find that comfortable situation where you always feel like shit because someone's verbally abusing you or whatever. And um, rather and 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 then you hate it and you're unhappy and you're trying to figure it out. So you know, realizing that you're not picking partners based on what's good for you, but you're picking partners based on what's comfortable for you, how you're used to feeling about yourself. can be a big re- revelation, but back to cool blue. Um, I thought I was very into the idea of the idea that we sometimes <laughs> fall in love with like an ideal person who's not who we are. And I think that, for me, I definitely picked somebody that was way more stable than I was so that I could, because I felt it was just more attractive than they're like, you know, the self loathing comes out when you pick your partner. <laughs> you're like, oh. So, um, but um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's also wondering like where those emotions go. Because if you meet children, I mean, some people are more emotional than others, but um, if you are, like do they do they just get stuffed inside and then they come out in other ways? You know, yeah. road raging, you know, or whatever people do for fun. Or I was also Twitter. reading about like, the unbox <laughs> culture where they they someone did a study and was determining that that it was actually sports were so popular with in male culture because it's the only acceptable place for men to be emotional. Wow. In society. Wow. So, um, I'm
0: really am interested to dive into that a little bit. Wow. That's crazy,
1: isn't it? Like you see all these guys raging out, like playing sports and that's the only outlet they have for all these emotions. And then the rest of the day, they just sort of stuff them down. Cause I'm like the kind of person and I've met all different people. Like I know very intimately friends that process things way slower. So they have all these emotions and they come out in a different way a month later, but I'm not yeah. like that. I'm like, whoosh, right, right when it's happening it's just coming out at everybody and then it's gone and I'm fine you know so it um I think that 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 song is definitely very autobiographical and also um just sort of the challenge of being a really emotional passionate person um and trying to explain that to somebody who's very stoic and hardened and stiff upper lip and Um, that dynamic just seemed like really, I just imagined like Medusa and then like some crazy lady and then like this really stoic, cold, hard man, you know, and how that works out. Um,
0: yeah, but you're like an
1: alien, you know, you feel like you're totally just this like crazy person. Um, but then you get around someone who's as emotional and wild as you, and you or wilder, and you're like, oh, I got it together. Yeah. So
0: I like the idea of you putting these, like a lot of the descriptions that you're giving me are these seemingly images that come in, and then you just verbalize lyrically your way around it. And I completely understand that now with Cool Blue. I've got one more question. I think you know what it is, because I kind of mentioned it. But before I ask, I just want to say thank you so much. This was um cathartic.
1: It's one of the Welcome reasons i
0: love to do so this much. just chatting with people and, and getting into some depth and nerding out on some of your lovely music so thank you yeah. so much uh, you know you you listen to a lot of music i imagine you're a fan of music who should i be talking to who's who's who do you got your ear to the ground on that um would be an interesting uh, person in terms of songwriting
1: um oh I'm like absolutely obsessed with kate lebon
0: <laughs> make it nerd. I don't
1: know if oh god She's amazing. She's like, um, I don't know. She's like the closest to Bowie you'll get these days.
0: Ooh, I love like um, that.
1: Love her. Very, very like simple arrangements, but like these amazing melodies. Um, you should talk to Erin Ray. Um, she's great melodies, great songwriter. She's got a new record out too. So
0: perfect timing.
1: Imagine she'll be doing this kind of stuff. Um, and then oh uh, gosh. watch. Uh, oh, the Colonel. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he's amazing. He's from uh, Jackson, Tennessee, and he's just like ah, uh, the closest to Buck Owens I think you can get these days. Um, great songwriter, and yeah, those are my top three like for this week
0: that's perfect and i'm guessing that that would have if we talked a week from now we would have talked a week ago that might have been different and uh, mm-hmm. the same holds true with me because i i try to listen to as much as possible um and it just keeps me going i think that that's one of the things that we have this access to information now that it's almost overwhelming to think about trying to find new music but if you really like focus and you just allow yourself to like go down a path, you can, you can keep on it. And, um, and that's why I love it. Finding people like you and you share with me more people to go with. So thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much to Tristan for coming on the show and giving us some of her time. Just absolutely have fallen in love with this music and her lyrics. Go check out that album, aquatic flowers. And as always for the stories behind the songs, go to songfacts.com. Don't right? back. back.